turn, if you would, to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. If you're like me, you need a few moments just to gather yourself after a a song like that, that we can praise our God and behold Him at the same time. Psalm 19. And I'm going to have you stand for the reading of Scripture. So I'll have you guys stand up right now. And we'll read Psalm 19. This is the word of the Lord to us today. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold and sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father God, this is the life-giving Spirit-inspired, God-breathed Word that You have revealed to us. And we thank You for the glories of Psalm 19. We thank You for its truths and its blessings. And we pray, God, that You would just open our hearts right now as we're in a a, a position of worship and and a posture of hearts just open to hear from You. God, would You cultivate that? Right now, would you help me, Lord, to get out of the way? And Father, that your spirit would speak this word in a way that we need to hear it. Father, that you would tailor 50 messages 
for us today that would speak to where we're at and what we need most. And God, that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon us. That, that the Spirit who inspired the Word would bring the truth of the Word like lightning into our souls. And Father, that, that, it, would, that it would generate life in us. That it would generate encouragement. That it would bring about conviction where we need it, that it would bring about healing where we need it, that, we would, that it would bring about guidance where we need it. But Father, we pray that now we would be awakened to the truths of Psalm 19 in the Word of God. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, I, at one point, 20 years ago or so, hated the Word of God. I despised God's Word. I didn't want anybody to tell me God's Word. Anytime somebody would quote the Bible to me, I would get a little bit upset and irritated and just think they were out of touch or foolish, or you had to kind of like stick your head in the sand and then, okay, yeah, then you can be a Christian. And I especially did not like people talking to me about sin and my need for repentance. And all of those things are held out to us in one way or another in the divinely inspired Word of God. But it wasn't until I got awakened to these truths, it wasn't until something happened inside of me that I began to see the Word in a totally different way. That in, in, instead of running from God and hating God's Word and making a mess of my life, which I was doing, I ended up having a heart that was just stabbed awake to the truth of Scripture. And somebody shared God's Word with me, and my eyes were opened, and I finally saw its truths. And then the Word of God was not drudgery to me. It wasn't the enemy of my soul. It wasn't the bane of my existence. It was like life-giving truth. It was like lifeblood to my spiritual veins. It was, it was like the hope that I had been longing for in the midst of deep, dark despair. And so God's Word changes everything, but it's not until it grips our heart that we begin to look at it like a friend and not a foe. That we begin to see the world the way it really is. And so I, I, I was digging through my uh, basement this week and I found a Bible that I had um, had from, it's almost 20 years old, this Bible. And I was thumbing through it and I'm looking at all the notes. It's the first Bible that I read from cover to cover. And as a new Christian, kind of not knowing anything, I'd never read like, you know, Noah's flood. So I'm like reading that and like, what? You know, like Noah, there was actually a flood and I'm, I'm reading all these things and I'd never seen these things before. And now I'm just like glorying in these truths. And I read this description of the Bible from this first Bible that I got. And it, and it left an imprint on my heart and it, it says very much the same thing as Psalm 19. It, it almost is like a, a, a commentary that couldn't put Psalm 19 in a better context for us. So I'm going to read. This is, th these are words that totally revolution, revolutionize the way that I think about the Bible. The Bible, 
This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be saved. And practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's charter. Here heaven is open and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is the grand subject. Our good is its design and the glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, health to the soul, and a river of pleasure. And it's given to you here in this life, and it will be opened up at the judgment. And it is established forever. It involves the highest responsibility. And will reward the greatest labor and condemn all who trifle with its contents. This is the Word of God. I mean, you can, all, you can almost hear the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. This is God's word. There's no other book like it. There's no other book that is divinely inspired. There's no other book that holds out as much truth in one place. There's no other book that can take a person from being dead in their sins to making them alive unto God. There's no other person that holds out the way of redemption for those who have made total shipwreck of their lives. This is God's revealed word in the scriptures to us. C.S. Lewis once said of this psalm, Psalm 19, this psalm that was penned by David, he said it's the most beautiful psalm in all of scripture. And that it may be the most beautiful lyrics in all the world. Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm that those who read it are looking at the two books, the book of creation and God's revelation in creation and the book of divinely revealed truth. He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as the two volumes are of the same work and feels concerning them. My father has wrote them both. That's what's going on when we read the scriptures. God wrote a book and inspired it. And it knows us. I remember reading the Bible for the first time and I'm like, this book knows me. This book knows what I've been through. This book knows where I'm going. This book knows my heart. This book pierces my soul. 
And so what I want to give us today is we're, we're not going to walk through all of this psalm, but I, I just want to give us an affection, a, a passion, a love, a, a reverence for the Word of God. I, I want to stir in our souls, and I pray that the Spirit would do it, that this book is like no other book. And we are living in a day in which the Word of God is rejected. We're living in a day in which the, the Word of God is mocked and maligned and carefully discarded, or sometimes not so carefully. We're living in a day much like the New Testament Christians were. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul reminds Timothy about the very charge that he has with the Word of God. 2 Timothy verse four, or chapter 4 and verse 1 says, as Paul reminds Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So that's when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For listen, listen to this. For a time is coming when people will no longer endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul was warning Timothy long ago of the dangers of rejecting and turning away from the Word of God. Now, many of us in here are, are, are Bible-believing Christians. We're, we're, we're committed to the Word. That's one of the pillars of Smithfield Baptist Church is that we're a Bible-believing church. We're a church that holds up the Scriptures as God-inspired, as divine revelation, as truth from above, as, as the Spirit-inspired Scripture to us authoritative for all of life, we hold that. But it's easy in the practical realities of life to begin to neglect these truths and wander off somewhere else. To begin to know that the book's on the shelf somewhere, but somehow it's not in the heart. It hasn't fixed and riveted itself in our souls so that we're able to navigate and that great quote that we read earlier, it's the traveler's compass. It's the, 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 the light to the soul. It's the truth that we stand on. Bedrock, solid truth. This is God's word to us. And just as Timothy was warned that day to hold on to it, to proclaim it, to live by it, and to allow it to form his life, so we need to be reminded that this is God's word. The promise, the, the prophet Amos warned of a day in the scriptures long ago where he said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord your God, when I will send a famine on the land, and not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from the north to the east. 
They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Brothers and sisters, we're living in such days. We're living in a day where it's famine. And when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, it is either feast, feasting upon the treasures of the book, or it's a famine in the soul. And we shrivel up. And the effects of spiritual deadening in our souls, we're, we're not thinking clearly. Our hearts become darkened. Our minds become alienated from the truth. And we begin to follow myths and fables and everything the world will spin about what reality is. And I don't need to tell you guys like, you guys are living it every day. Whenever, when you turn on the TV and, and, and nobody knows what it means to be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, and God has said that He made man, created man, male and female, He created them. Biologically, we know. Chromosomally, we know. In the DNA structure, in the anatomy and physiology, we know the truth, but we've bought into lies and myths. Because there's been a departure from the Word. We're living in Amos's day, in the day in which the famine has come. So this is a call for us today to wake up to the reality and the glory and the grandeur of the book and be a people of the book. I remember sharing with Isaiah as we were doing a Bible study recently and I told him I, I, I held the Bible out and I said sin will keep you from this book but this book will surely keep you from sin and he said to me daddy you, you got to put that in a sermon okay <laughs> like that's got to go in the next sermon so but the truth of it is the reality your sin will keep you from this book but this book will change you in such a way that it keeps you from sin. It guards you from sin. And so as we enter into Psalm 19, we need to be reminded that we're entering into a gold mine of truth. And it's going to show to us the glorious and preciousness of the Word of God. And the first thing we're going to see as we step into it is just look at the structure real quick. I'm not going to comment on every verse, but notice the first six verses talk about the book of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God has revealed himself in creation. And those first six verses remind us that God is speaking to us in the world that He has made 24-7. It's like the sun rising up in the sky and nothing is hidden from its heat. So goes the revelation of God to us in creation. The Apostle Paul would remind us in Romans 1 that God has shown to us things that have been clearly revealed to us in the things He has made. He has made the world and the world discloses to us that God must be great and powerful and glorious. Because how could all this be popping out of nothing? But we know instinctively and we know from Scripture that deep down in our hearts, it resonates with all of us that we have been made. 
And so we are without excuse because 24-7 we have the witness of creation speaking to us and declaring the worth of God. That's what it means to say the heavens declare the glory of God. And you'll notice that the word God is used and that's the generic word for God in verse 1. And then when you get to verse 7 and you begin to talk about Scripture, which is special revelation, which is the special revelation given to the people of God, which is God speaking to us through his word, through the prophets, through the teachings, through the instructions in a unique way. And the word for God moves from being generic to the all capital Lord, which is the name Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God, for his people. It's the redemptive name God has given to the people of Israel when he brought them out of Exodus, when he revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. This is the Lord. This is the one who put down Pharaoh with ten plagues. This is the one who parted the Red Sea. This is the one who brought his people out on dry land. This is the Lord. And notice that the word of God in verses 7 to 11, is the word of the Lord. Look at it right there. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true. Do you notice the common denominator is of the Lord? When I got a hold of this as a young Christian, it was like, you mean God's spoken? You mean God has disclosed truth? And I was like, why am I wasting time with all these other books when there's one book that knows me? There's one book that's been sent by God to me to disclose truth to me. And I remember being in my first inductive Bible study class when I mocked Bible study before. And now I'm in a class and the teacher comes up and says, how many of you own a Bible? And I lifted up my Bible and I said, I do. And everybody said they own, you know, a Bible. And he's like, well, you, you don't own it until you've actually read it from cover to cover. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I want to own it. Because the idea was, this is not an ordinary book. This is actually a book that was sent by God, that was revealed from God through the prophets to us. It's 66 books written by over 40 authors over the span of thousands of years. It unfolds the prophecies of Jesus 700 years before he was born. It's like no other book. It, it talks of crucifixion 700 years before it was invented and says Jesus would go to a cross. How did it know that? Well, because its author made the heavens and the earth. And just as we cannot hide from the sun's heat, nor can we hide from the piercing realities of the truth of God's word. And I'm telling you, when you come to the Lord to receive that, it's like sweet music in your soul. And so we're going to see the nature 
and the purpose of God's word right here in this middle chunk of this psalm. Look at it in verse 7. The nature and purpose of God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. It's whole. He's, he's not left out anything we need to know. It's totally complete. And what does it do? What does it do inside us? It revives the soul. David's telling us something. He's telling us what God's word is, but he's also telling us what it does. And brothers and sisters, you need to know that the word of God makes people alive, truly. The word of God can take somebody whose soul is shriveled up and dead and alienated from God, and it can make it alive to God. And then you begin to start seeing the word of God like treasure and like honey and glorious truth. All through the Bible, we see the word of God restoring people. It's not until Israel recovers the word of God when they're in exile that life begins to come back into them. It's not until somebody like David who had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he was riddled with guilt and sin was ravaging the effects of his family were feeling it. It wasn't until David repented before Nathan the prophet that the Spirit of God restored him and renewed him because he turned back to the word of the Lord through the prophet Nathan. And the New Testament says the same thing. The Apostle Peter says in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls or fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What's Peter saying? The word of God brings spiritual life and vitality into the soul, opens people's eyes and makes them alive. We're here, but a vapor. Our lives are a vapor and it's gone. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word of the gospel is what makes us alive. Psalm, 7, or Psalm 19 and verse 7 is showing us that it was God's way of old to take his perfect word and to make people alive with it. And so Peter is saying just what David is saying. And all throughout history, we see the very same things. What did we hear in the words quoted earlier by Paul to young Timothy about his childhood? In 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the word of God. There's nothing like it. There's nothing that can take a man who hates God, make him alive, 
He repents of his sin, puts his trust in Christ, and now he's living for God. And he has a renewed sense of purpose and joy and forgiveness and redemption because God woke him up. God woke her up. That's what happens when God's Word grips you and transforms you and saves you. And anything short of new birth in your soul is just religious garbage. Anything short of new life inside of you where God takes you when you were once dead in your sins and makes you alive is just a religious ritual that is meaningless and empty because you need new life. And that's what the Bible discloses. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. And that word can also mean restoring the broken. Repairing the damaged. It revives. It restores. It repairs. It turns back. This was all the saints of old. It's my story. This was St. Augustine's story. He was sitting outside the city and he heard the children singing. And they were singing, take and pick up the book and read. Take and pick up the book and read. It was like this little hymn chant they were doing. And he realized, I need to pick up a book and read it. And so he picked up the Bible and he read from Romans. And his life in an instant was changed. Because he read the words of Romans. Make no provision of for the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was born again by reading a sentence from the Bible. He had given his whole life to going after prostitution and sexual immorality and living a vile life. And he reads one line of Scripture and he's made new and he becomes the greatest theologian of the early church. That's what happens Charles Spurgeon experienced the same thing. He was a 16-year-old boy. It was a stormy day. He was thinking about going to church, and he wanders into this little Methodist church because he couldn't get to the normal church he wanted to go to. And there was a layman preaching the Bible, and the layman looked right at him and said to him, Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus Christ and live. And Spurgeon recalls being 16 years old, he'd never heard the Word of God spoken to him. It was always for somebody else. And that day, he was told to look to Christ, and he did. And he became the greatest preacher Christianity has ever seen. That's what happens when the Word of God powerfully works in us. Because the voice of the Lord in the Scriptures is life-giving. That's what Psalm 29, 9 says. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. This forever King has a powerful voice that He speaks. As the Bible speaks, so God speaks. And when God speaks... He brings life. If He can make a deer give birth with His words, and if He can strip a forest bare with His words, surely He can bring life into your soul. 
you are not too far gone. And you have not departed, if you are a believer, so far that the voice of the Lord cannot correct you and restore you and revive you. I was just brought to the sense of the power of God's Word yesterday as I was preparing this message. And that torrential storm just comes out of nowhere, right? And it's just like dumps, you know, of, uh, you know, we almost got a little bit of Noah's flood going on there, right? It just dumped down for an hour and a half or something like that. And then you heard the lightning crackling and the thunder just rolling and the, the majesty of God's voice. And I thought to myself, this is what happens when God's word is doing something. And that is what happens in your soul when God's word brings life. It revives. It renews. It's just what you've been longing for. And it's powerful. Verse 7 also reminds us that the word of the Lord is sure and it makes wise the simple. Notice that word there. The testimony of the Lord is sure or trustworthy or, or truthful or without error. And it makes wise the simple. The Bible is a trustworthy book. You cannot pick up any other book and have so much truth contained therein. It's trustworthy. It's tried and true. Men have tried to destroy the Bible all throughout the centuries. They've tried to deny it, but it keeps popping up because it's the Word of God. You can't smother it. You can't put it under a basket. It will shine. And it saves men throughout all generations. And it saves men like C.S. Lewis, who are one of the most brilliant men of Oxford in his day. It saves intelligent men and it saves foolish men. And here it says, the testimony, the witness of the Lord is certain, making wise the simple. It has the ability to make wise somebody who's foolish or somebody who's simple. And it has the ability to inform the most erudite intellectual. This is God's word. This comes from God to us. And there's nothing like it. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That's the, the doctrines of God. Sometimes we, we look at doctrine and theology and we're like, I don't like that word. It's doctrine. It sounds very ethereal. And it, I, I don't want to get into all this doctrine. But here we, we see the word for doctrine. The precepts of the Lord are right. They're good. They're true. They're righteous. And they bring joy to the soul. It's one of the great joys of my life to study the Bible. Before I got saved, I think I, I maybe read one or two books. I think I read J.D. Salinger's uh, book and, and, you know, Catcher in the Rye and maybe faked a book report on that or something. And, and, and I just remember, I did not fall in love with reading until I became a Christian. Because then I realized that God had inspired a book and God had given me the ability to learn and that God had woke me up to the beauty in the world around me in the book of creation and in the book of Scripture. And then I just couldn't get enough knowledge. I wanted to devour it because this is God's world and He made it. And I want to know about it. And I want to know who I am. And beloved, listen, you will not know who you are 
and you will not know your God unless you feast upon this book. And this book tells you to also marvel at the world around you. Go ye the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. You better stare at some ants if you're being a little lazy. Because the ants keep doing their job. They keep bringing food and storing it and working. Go ye the ant. The Bible tells us, study the creation. Study what God has made. And verse 8 reminds us that God's Word is like the song we sung. Thy Word is a lamp. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The Bible tells us that we were in utter darkness before the light of the Word came. We were in a dark room. Imagine yourself being in a dark room. There's no light. It's pitch black. It's like one of those photosensitive rooms where just no light is let in at all. And you try to get around and you're just stumbling about. I lived 21 years of my life stumbling in the dark, stumbling over people, stumbling over loved ones, stumbling over friends, stumbling over alcohol, stumbling over drugs, stumbling over popularity chasing, stumbling over the desire for money, and nothing but darkness. And then somebody handed me a flashlight. They handed me a flashlight and said, take and read. And the light went on. And I could see for the first time. And I saw myself for the first time. And I was able to get honest before God. Which before this psalm's over, that's exactly what David does. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's light to my soul. When's the last time you turned the flashlight on? When's the last time you went to the book and let it shed light on that problem you're going through? When's the last time that you mined the Scriptures to deal with besetting sin, to deal with struggles, to deal with loneliness, to deal with fear, to deal with sadness, to deal with any number of problems that you face? Broken marriages get repaired when the flashlight goes on. Otherwise, you're in the dark, and it's like two people in the dark stumbling over the same room. Not a lot of help there. And notice verse 9. This is what happens when we come to worship service. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The, the Word of God is called the fear of the Lord. It's described by what it does to us. It's described by how it produces awe and reverence and worship and a sense of God. Like we're talking about God here. Like we're talking about the creator of the universe here. Like you're being held together by his very word right now. And the air coming through your lungs is happening because of who he is. This is God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the one that we ought to be in awe of. And if you want awe of God and wonder at God, we must open the book and we find out just how clean it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you feeling dirty and defiled and having no reverence for God? How can a young man, young woman, old man, old woman, Husband, father, wife, mother, son or daughter, 
How can they keep their way pure? How can they deal with their sin? Except by the Word of God. That tells us the way of salvation. That discloses to us the reality. And it's not enough just to behold the Word of God or to see what it does, but we've got to treasure this book. That's why it's a treasure. We've got to treasure this book. Look at verse uh, 10. Treasuring the Word as desirable and valuable. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. The Bible is greater than the greatest treasure you can imagine. In those days, just as in our day, the greatest commodity was gold. So let me just put this into some context for us. So Fort Knox. Imagine you had the opportunity to walk into Fort Knox and grab a couple bricks of gold and go out. You could either do that or you could open the Bible and read and study. And immediately, we're feeling a little... Con- but that's gold. <laughs> Brother Peter, that's gold. <laughs> okay, like I want a couple bricks and then I'll open the Bible. <laughs> but it's saying it's more valuable than that. It's way more valuable than that. Actually, it's in, like, like gold is just chump change. Gold is pennies to God. He's disclosed riches in this book, wisdom in this book, soul-stirring, satisfying realities in this book. And we deeply long to be satisfied in this world, and we will not be satisfied apart from the God that this book discloses. And that's why the word is to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold. It's sweeter than honey. So you think sweets and your favorite candy and your, your favorite tasty candy is like honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. You know, we're talking like Winnie the Pooh just going like, hey, it's on now. <laughs> this is good. But this is God's word. It's sweeter than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. I spent 20 years of my life looking for honey in the world around me. And it was sweet for a moment and it turned utterly bitter and utterly devastating in my life. And it left me totally unsatisfied in the end. And it wasn't until somebody held out the honey of the Word, the sole honey of God's Word, that I began to see who God was, who I was in light of Him, and that I was broken and in need of redemption. And every single one of us needs to hear the word of the Lord today. It's sweeter than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. David would say, the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. How can he say that? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. This is what God's Word points us to. It points us to the shepherd. It points us to the soul-satisfying shepherd. Which means we're like sheep, and that's not flattering for any of us. Because sheep need a shepherd. Or they walk off the hill and drown in the lake. But we've got a good shepherd. It's not just like we got a shepherd. We don't have a hireling. We have the good shepherd. He satisfies. He takes you and, and, and he brings you 
to a place of rest and peace and security. Listen to how he talks in John's gospel in John chapter 10. The thief, this is the hireling, this is the bad shepherd. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep know me. They hear my voice and they listen and they follow me. And I lay my life down for them. And though I lay my life down, I can raise it up again. And any who come to me, I will not let them be snatched out of my hand. That's the good shepherd. That's what the word of God points us to. It points us to the good shepherd who makes you lie down in green pastures and leads you beside still waters. So are you restless today? There's peace by the still waters of God in Christ. Are you overwhelmed? There's green pastures for you to feast upon in the word. And as you pray and commune with God, you get in touch with your maker and your soul becomes still. Be still and know that I am God, says the Lord. Not only that, but verse 11 reminds us that the book warns us of folly and rewards those who keep its contents. Moreover, by them, meaning by your word, is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Sin will keep you from the book, and the book will keep you from sin. This is glorious, majestic truth. When I hold before you the word of God, when we when we lift it up, when we look at it, when we hear about it, we're, 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 we're sensing God's involved here because we're talking about his word and it's exposing our hearts. It's showing us where we're at. It's showing us if we need repentance. It's showing us if we need his grace. It's showing us who he is and it's showing us what the world is all about and what we need most. And so it ends, this glorious psalm ends with a response of humble repentance. Look at it with me, verses 11 to 14, or actually 12 to 14. David, in light of all this, says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This song ends in prayer. It ends in a man getting in touch with God. It ends in our souls getting in touch with our maker. And, 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 and here's the heart cry of David. In light of the full disclosure of God's word, in light of its truth, in light of its purity, in light of its trustworthiness, in light of its ability to bring life, he says, come to the Lord, your redeemer and your maker and your God, for he is a rock of refuge 
And he is the redeemer of those who are enslaved to sin. And he does it by sending a good shepherd who lived out the Bible in full, writ large, and is said to be the very Word of God Himself. Listen to the reality of who Jesus is in the Scriptures. John chapter 1 and verse 14 remind us of this beautiful truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen and beheld His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God sent His Son into the world to bring glorious salvation and redemption and what you really need. And believers rejoice. They hear Jesus speak and they follow. John chapter 1 and verse 12 reminds us, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So listen, we need to know that the proper response to God's Word is humble faith and repentance. It's acknowledging the Lord. It's coming to Jesus and seeing Him as the very soul-satisfying desire we've been longing for and chasing in all the wrong places. And brothers and sisters, we can depart from the straight ways of the Lord and we're revived by the perfect Word of God as it brings us back to the source of blessing. And it brings us back to the Good Shepherd Himself. So let's pray now and come to the Lord in the spirit of David, knowing what the Word is and what it does and that God sent His very Word to us to redeem us in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now for this moment. I pray, Father, for wherever we're at right now, whether we're experiencing the convicting work of the Spirit and we're needing to confess our sin, needing to bring our hearts before You honestly, needing to call out to the Lord and say, save me, help me, redeem me, restore me. I hear and I want to follow. Or if we have been following the Lord for years, but the the Word of God has been drowned out by so many other words in our life. God, I pray that we would recover it. I pray that we would be reminded of it. I pray that we would stand upon it and taste and see that the Lord is good and that the Word would be honey to our soul and it would be like gold in our treasuries and that we would not neglect it for it is the truth. And it is the hope for all who believe it. Follow you and take in its truths to eternal glory. Father, we thank you and we ask your blessing now. May the Spirit work as we sing this hymn of response. May we be doing some responses unto you now. In Jesus' name, amen.